1: Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. On this Thursday, the 31st and final morning of the month of December in the calendar year of our Lord, 2020. I got to tell you. I am not extraordinarily optimistic about 2021 being a whole heck of a lot better than 2020 at the outset. But I am so glad to see this year come to an end today. Um, my goodness. Strife. Violence. Crime. Poverty. Disease. All of it. At almost unprecedented levels in one calendar year. If anyone. Of the three biggest plagues on this country, this calendar year had happened in any other year, it would be a rough year. To have all of them combine at the same time in this year, um, it's it's really uh, it's really hard to fathom. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Coming up in about uh, thirty minutes, we are going to talk with Jack Windsor. And uh, Jack and I are going to discuss, or we are going to discuss, um, the state of the pandemic and the response of the government and the state of Ohio to it. The governor continues to tell us that the hospitals are about to be overrun. Jack and his team at the Ohio Star have a different story to tell they went and checked the math and they went and counted the numbers and so forth. Uh really looking forward to that conversation. So we're going to talk to Jack about that in particular and then we're also going to talk just generally about the year that was in the state of Ohio uh as it pertains to, you know, the the health of the state in terms of its uh people as well as its economy and so forth all of that is coming up at nine thirty-five. then at ten ten, dr everett piper will join us with also a 2020 retrospective we're going to look back at the year that was or that is coming to a close in faith 2020 and the year of all-out assault on religious liberty the year of all-out attacks on religious services again as part of the response to the pandemic but also part of the, the changing culture, the turn away from God, the turn away from religion, the turn away from being able to worship as you see fit, and people who are of faith being forced to accept things that violate the tenets of their faith. All of those things really were enormous in the calendar of 2020. So Dr. Everett Piper will join us at that time. So those are the two guests, Jack Windsor and Dr. Everett Piper, and I want the rest of the two hours this morning to be filled in by you. And I want you to talk about the year that was, and I want you to talk about what you expect 2021 to be like. That doesn't mean you have to make one of the cheesy, that's a talk show crutch that a lot of people have used. Um, I traditionally don't do it. I think I did earlier in my career. What's your 2021 resolution? Not doing that. Just more of a matter of what do you expect the coming year to be? Are you excited? Are you anticipating great improvements? Or, as I said at the beginning, I'm not necessarily, for me, very, very, uh, confident i guess that 2021 is going to be a whole lot better than 2020 but i'm glad to see 2020 end just the same because at least we have the hope of the future so i want you to be a part of that at 216-901-0945 or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. let me get to the news of the day to start however the biggest story or at least one of the two biggest stories is mitch mcconnell and the united states senate saying nope not going to do it Not going to sign off on the House's $2,000 stimulus check for all Americans, or not all Americans, but working Americans who make under $75,000 a year. Not going to sign off on it as a standalone. Not going to sign off on uh, giving a bunch of money to Democrats' rich friends. He said, what I am going to do is introduce my own version of a stimulus bill that increases the payments to you from $600 to $2,000. But it's going to be coupled with two very important priorities for President Trump. One of them is the repeal of Section 230 in the Federal Communications Act, which is the liability protection for online companies. They operate and act with impunity, without any fear whatsoever of repercussions for their censorship of certain viewpoints based on ideology. And that's got to go. There needs to be accountability and the chance for these people to be held accountable in a court of law. So, Mitch, McC- and that's a huge priority for President Trump, who said the same thing. So, Mitch says any increase from 600 to 2,000 is also going to be a repeal of Section 230, and then secondly, this would create a committee on the Election Assistance Commission to study election integrity. That doesn't mean it's a commission that will say Donald Trump was robbed, the election was a fraud, and so forth, because that's going to just lead to more and more fighting. Uh, And that fight is going to happen anyway. And I'll tell you why with the rest of the the other big news story of the day in a second. But that fight is going to happen on January 6th. This is just a commission to study election integrity, to really dig into whether it be, you know, problems with absentee balloting, problems with all mail in voting problems with computers, problems with hacking all of the things to study election integrity voter rolls being purged of uh, people who cannot vote any longer but are still receiving uh, mail-in votes uh, vote or uh, vote uh, ballots I mean I guess when you say ballots and votes at the same time you get votes no they didn't mail in votes but they did mail in uh, ballots. And uh, those became votes, and sometimes the people aren't even alive, didn't live in the state anymore, etc. So Mitch McConnell simply says, you want the 600 to 2,000 deal, but get rid of Section 230 and create this commission so that we can make sure that our elections can be trusted in the future. This is not something that is going to undo the damage done in this current uh, election season. So that's where we are with respect to the, the payments. You're going to get a $600 payment. In all likelihood, you are not going to get that 2000 because Mitch McConnell is not going to just give it away. And we know the Democrats are not going to agree to create that commission or to uh, get rid of Section 230. Democrats profit too much from online platforms censoring conservatives. They, it's a huge advantage for them to have essentially unchecked messaging power to the American people. They are not going to allow conservatives or other people to sue the platforms, you know, the owners of the social media that, that seem to be dominating this country. They're not going to allow them to be sued by conservatives uh, that may limit their power. So the, there's the $2,000, you can just kiss that goodbye. It's not going to happen. My wife asked me yesterday, so do we like Mitch McConnell now or not? And my wife is politically connected and astute, um, but she's like, I don't know how to feel. And I said, I, I'm with you, because I want $2,000 of my money. Remember, this isn't a gift. These are our tax dollars being returned back to us. I want 2000 instead of 600 I want her to have 2000 instead of 600 And so, no, I don't like Mitch McConnell because he's getting in the way of that. However, I don't want the online platforms to have unchecked power. I don't want them to be emboldened because there is no accountability that they face. So I don't want Section 230 in the Communications Act. And I don't want election fraud to be as easy as it was for the Democrats. I do want an election assistance commission. So that part of me says, good job, Mitch McConnell. Stand your ground. How do you feel about it? Like I said, I told my wife I'm normally not a fence-sitter. If you sit on fences, you get splinters in places that you really best not want, you know, to have splinters. That are best not to have splinters. So I generally don't sit on fences. I'm on one side or the other, but I, I, I I'm frustrated because I want the two thousand dollars, but I also support Mitch McConnell's principles here. I also don't like the fact that the bill was passed to give this uh, this um, uh, coronavirus stimulus relief at all that included all of that foreign aid and all of that domestic pork. So that's another issue. All right, I said I was going to start with the two big news stories of the day. That was one. This is the other. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri has become the first senator to say, I am going to stand up. I am going to challenge the electoral certification uh, when we have our joint session on January 6th. He's the first senator to pledge to do exactly that. He said the reason why he is doing this is because the people deserve to be heard. There is a lot of evidence of, of uh, ballot fraud, or let me rephrase, voter fraud and election fraud, which are different things in the same area, but different things, that, uh, that evidence has not been heard. Courts have just refused to take it up. And so the people aren't being heard. And he said the people deserve to be heard. He is a thousand percent right. Senator Ted Cruz from Texas is reportedly considering joining him in this effort. So I'm not suggesting that this means President Trump is going to win, but it's not over until it's over. Let's just say it that way. I, I've been talking about and using the football uh, analogy, you know, about a Hail Mary and several Hail, Hail Marys need to be completed for the president to. Uh, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat in this situation, it still applies. It's it's a Hail Mary on January 6th that in a two-hour debate, uh, Josh Hawley and whoever joins him is going to be able to convince the rest of the uh, Congress to not certify the electoral results. But the fight has to be had. Josh Hawley said this, Millions of voters concerned about election integrity deserve to be heard. I will object on January 6th on their behalf. He went on to say that uh, Democrats, congressional Democrats, in the past have similarly objected to the certification process to raise critical issues, just as he intends to do. Unlike his Democratic counterparts, however, Hawley surely doesn't expect to be praised for it by the media. Quote, following both the 2004 and 2016 elections... Democrats in Congress objected to the certification of electoral votes in order to raise concerns about election integrity. They were praised by Democratic leadership and the media when they did, and they were entitled to do so. But now those of us concerned about the integrity of this election are entitled to do the same. But he expects none of the praise that came along with it in those prior examples. Hawley specifically identified issues concerning the 2020 election in Pennsylvania and the influence of big tech, saying, quote, I cannot vote to certify the Electoral College results on January 6 without raising the fact that some states, particularly Pennsylvania, failed to follow their own state election laws. And I cannot vote to certify without pointing out the unprecedented effort of mega corporations, including Facebook and Twitter, to interfere in this election, in support of Joe Biden. At the very least, Josh Hawley said, Congress should investigate actions of voter fraud and adopt measures to secure the integrity of our elections. But Congress has so far failed to act for these reasons. I will follow the same practice Democrat members of Congress have in years past and object to the certification process on January 6th to raise these critical issues. Now, the response to this, of course, is predictable. Josh Hawley does not respect democracy. Josh Hawley does not trust the American people. Josh Hawley and conservative Trump supporters uh, are, are acting like babies and sore losers. All of the traditionally expected responses from those on the left. As a matter of fact, even from corporate America, even from Chinese Um, controlled corporate America. And of course, I speak of Walmart. Because he made his announcement, because Josh Hawley said that he is going to uh, uh, challenge this, the certification, Walmart, the corporation, the giant, the monolith, Walmart said in a tweet, or called uh, 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 Josh Hawley in a tweet, a sore loser. Josh Hawley said that was extraordinarily insulting to 75 million Americans who don't feel like sore losers, and in fact, who don't feel like they are losers at all. But this is what you expect from the far left.
0: The biggest corporation, one of the biggest corporations in this country responding to you in this way.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, these big corporations, these multinationals, they they are, first of all, they are they are all woke now. Uh, they all supported Joe Biden. And they all secretly look down on the people they supposedly serve. I was stunned by that tweet by Walmart. I mean, you talk about insulting. You talk about condescending. I look forward to them explaining that to the millions of people who shop there, by the way, including me and my family. So, you know, I mean, they, it's certainly an interesting choice on their part. And I imagine their customers will have something to say about it. I want to give you a response again. His customer, or their customers rather, absolutely will have something to say about it, but I doubt any of them are going to be able to say anything better than what Josh Hawley himself said, who responded to that tweet from Walmart with this one Now that you have insulted 75 million Americans, will you at least apologize for using slave labor? Or maybe you'd like to apologize for the pathetic wages you pay your workers as you drive mom and pop stores out of business? And finally, Josh Hawley said, uh, um, to Walmart in response. <clears throat> Excuse me. A little frog here. Um, finally, he said uh, to uh, Walmart something else that I can't seem to find right now. I apologize for that. I will find it for you on the other side of this uh, timeout. I want you to be a part of the conversation today as we look ahead to 2021 and look back on 2020. Uh two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Right back on AM fourteen twenty games. Okay, it is 9-27. As we continue on AM 1420, the answer. Let me get a quick call in here on Mitch McConnell, because I asked for that. And then I want to share something with you on the positive side. And TJ in Cleveland, you're on AM 1420, the answer. Good morning, TJ. Yeah. Happy New Year. Go ahead, sir.
0: Happy New Year, Bob. You know, Bob, we're in a war to save the republic. That's obvious. And, you know, in this war here, I find myself now as a rear echelon personnel. I don't need the 600 or the 2,000. I can get along without it. But I do know there's a lot of people out there hurting, and they're on the front lines of this war. But unfortunately, like in any war, there's going to be collateral damage. If we're going to win this war, like I said, we're going to have to accept collateral damage. And from thinking that way, I support Mitch, Mitch O'Connell on this, because the big picture is far too important than the temporary you know, picture now. Uh, We've got to stop these people. uh it 's time to make a stand, and like I said, I do feel very badly for for these people that need that money
1: i I do too, I do too, but you know what you're you're right uh, and and President Trump was right about this too that 's why. You know, they, they oppose it so much, of course, it's because President Trump supports getting rid of 230. It's why they oppose uh, the, um, uh, the election commission to be, to be uh, 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 formed, because they stole an election this time around. They don't want to be challenged in trying to steal the next one as well. And, and the real irony of all of that, TJ, and thank you for the phone call, I don't want to sacrifice the payments to people, because I'm one of them. I would be receiving a check, too, of $2,000 of my own money. So would my wife. But the reason I'm willing to sacrifice that, even though it would come in very, very, very helpfully and handily to us, is because there are some things that are bigger than selves. Um, And the irony of that, by the way, on the Election Commission part, is if they win Georgia, if Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, two radical leftists, uh, end up representing what used to be a red state of Georgia in the United States Senate, giving the uh, Democrats full power, they will never have to steal another election, because they're going to create two new states out of D.C. and Puerto Rico, and they're going to pack the, the Supreme Court, and they're going to get rid of the, the uh, legislative filibuster, and they're going to abolish or significantly alter or change, the Electoral College. We will never be able to win another vote anyway, but they still, and you know, this is part of, part of what they do. They are very, very good at covering their bases. Most master thieves are. If you're if you're a thief and you're not great at covering your tracks and covering your bases and and providing yourself outs and giving your you know put, putting fail safes in place, you end up in prison. You end up seeing life through striped sunlight for the rest of your days. Really great master thieves know how to cover their tracks, and the Democrats do. That's why we are now, uh, you know, just uh, what. 22 days away from the presidential inauguration of Joe Biden, and none of the fraud, none of the uh, 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 irregularities in all of the battleground states that somehow, some way, went for Joe Biden despite virtually every metric saying it cannot happen. It's why none of them have been heard in a court yet. Courts won't take them because they know how to cover their tracks. We'll talk more about that also with Dr. Everett Piper at 1010. Right now it's 930. We're going to get news, and on the other side of the news, we'll come back. I don't have the good news for you yet, but we'll come back with Jack Windsor, and we'll talk about uh, where the state of Ohio stands in return in regards to its uh, pandemic response, and we'll also look back at the year that was in this state with Jack Windsor next. at 1420, The Answer. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob Frant Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 935, we continue on the very final day of the year of our Lord 2020 here on AM 1420, The Answer. Going to look back at the year that was a little bit with our guests, including our uh, next guest. Jack Windsor is an investigative reporter. For wmfd television in mansfield and he is the managing editor of the ohio star newspaper and uh... he and his team have done some very very important work that we're also going to discuss this morning here on the authority jack windsor happy new year my friend how are you
0: bob france i am fantastic happy new year to you as well and thank you for choosing me this morning it's an honor to be here
1: it's always a pleasure to talk with you jack especially when you've got some really really important information to share with the people now yesterday uh, let's start with the current events and then I want to kind of go back and talk about, uh, you know, the year that we are wrapping up right now and the unprecedented, uh, uh, things that we have seen and watched and talked about together and you guys have reported on. Uh, but let's start with the current news. Yesterday, Governor DeWine did hold a briefing on the coronavirus, the latest numbers, this, that, and the other thing. Did change the guidance a little bit on quarantining kids who are exposed to people with COVID in schools rather than quarantining them, saying they uh, don't have to quarantine as long as they were wearing masks uh, so they don't have to be uh, locked up, if you will. Um, and that's all fine and well and good. But what I wanted to get into, Jack, was the work that you and your team at the Ohio Star did in responding to the ongoing uh, numbers given by Governor DeWine and the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Vanderhoff, regarding hospital uh, over, uh, uh, overruns, saying that the capacity... Uh, at hospitals and in ICUs, uh, ventilator usage, et cetera, et cetera, are all in very serious jeopardy of being overrun. And that is what we're being told. That's why they have to extend the curfew now to January 23rd. That's why the mask mandate stays in place. That's why this, that, and the other thing are all going on, the restaurant capacities and all these things. So you decided, let's find out. Uh, about you know exactly how dire the situation is in all of our hospitals and medical centers. You and your team at the Ohio Star got some very important information. I'd like you to share with us.
0: Yes, uh, you're right. The governor and chief medical officer, Doctor Bruce Vanderhoff, they spend a portion of press briefings discussing hospital capacity, and uh, as you mentioned, it's often a reason why uh, they continue down the road of any type of mandate, uh, particularly curfews, things of that nature. So we looked at Mm -hmm. it, and according to the data found on the state website, um, and you can go specifically to hospitalization, key metric site, part of the site, and total utilization. Now, what that means is that the total number of people, not just COVID, but all patients, um, in inpatient beds, ICU beds, and and on ventilators, um, beds decreased 1%. Um, ICU beds went up one percent. Ventilator usage went down one percent. And so you go, okay, it's it's pretty pretty flat and stable. But when you dig in a little deeper and you look at COVID patients in hospitals, ICUs, and on ventilators um, between essentially the beginning of December and now the end of December, inpatient beds um, it, it, they decreased thirteen percent. ICU beds decreased twelve percent, and ventilator usage went down. Now, the state is split up into hospital preparedness regions. There are eight of them, and so the the state has, you know, eight different sections. Cuyahoga County, for example, is is in region two. Inpatient bed usage there decreased 12%. ICU bed usage decreased 21%. Ventilator usage decreased 20%. When you look at all eight regions, seven of the eight regions decreased, often by double digits. The only region that showed an increase is Region 6. So seven of the eight regions have seen a decrease in utilization from the beginning of December until the end.
1: Jack, that's unbelievable. Um, And I mean that literally most people will not believe that because that's the exact opposite of what we keep hearing from Dr. Vanderhoff and Governor DeWine. Um, They're telling us that all of these things are probably the exact opposite, increasing in double digits in seven of the eight regions, increasing by double digits for COVID patients. Everything you just described flies in the face of what they're giving us. So the next question, of course, becomes how do they respond to this? Have they been made aware of this? Or, of course, they're aware of it. They're just trying to bury it. But how uh, how do they respond when you and the Ohio Star run this story?
0: So I, unfortunately, was at question 17 yesterday. I did not make the cut, and uh, I was either going to ask about this or another topic, but this topic will will come uh, in front of them, and and we'll see. Here's what they're doing. It's really interesting. Uh, He talked about it yesterday. He said, you know, we have these key metrics, and he showed um, the red map. Um, You call it the map of fear. he has the fear porn map. It's all red and purple, and then to the right of it, he had the map that had you know different shades of blue. Well, that map that has different shades of blue, they're calling that ICU utilization. Now, here's what they're doing, and I hope I can explain this succinctly. So, if you have an ICU room with ten uh, with ten beds, we'll just make it simple, and you have one patient, then your ICU utilization would be ten percent. If you add a second mm-hmm. patient then your ICU utilization would be 20%, right? Because you have two people in a 10-bed 10, 10 ICU unit. But let's say that one of those people has COVID. So one of the two patients has COVID. What they're going to tell you is that the COVID utilization for ICUs is 50%. And you scratch your head and you go, wait a minute. No, it's not. It's 10% because only one person is COVID out of a 10-unit you know, ICU. And they're saying, well, no. It's it's half of the number of patients. And so even the number that they're giving you on ice COVID utilization is skewed. So we ran, uh, you know, I ran a little uh, analysis on that. In and, and Region 8, for example, what they showed uh, as of December 29th was something along the lines of like 65% COVID utilization. In reality, when you ran the numbers, it was something like, I want to say, 38% or I'm sorry, uh, 48%, it, it was a 15 to a 17% skew. So they're even taking numbers and and, and titling them something that they're not. Um, so my guess is there's going to be a lot of hemming and hawing and saying, well, you know, we'll check that out, but Jack, we're going to have to, we have to take this seriously because, you know, this virus is spreading in every part of the state and, uh, you know, trusted medical professionals put this map together. So we're just going to have to, you know, continue to be careful and not slough off any um, you know, any of the guidance that
1: we've been given. You, you just summarized his answer to every question you've ever asked. I mean, you, really, <laughs> you just did. I mean, that, that's literally what he says to everyone. Uh, yeah, Jack, I don't have a specific answer to that right now, but, boy, we have to take this seriously. We're following the guidance of the medical professionals, best practices, yada, yada, yada. That is exactly what he says, but I want specifics. I want them to read this article, not just have you ask a question, but I want them to read the article, look at the statistics. And, and by the way, how do you verify Jack, um, what you just said, <clears throat> excuse me, so when About the, you, yeah. one of the two, one of the two members, uh, two uh, uh, patients in the ICU, uh, you know, being half of the people who are in there have COVID. So therefore, you know, COVID beds are taking up half of the ICU beds that are occupied, even if it is, like you said, one in 10 or two in 10. Uh, where do you where do you get that information? And, and is it verified? And how can we share that while also, again, having the verification?
0: Yes, so let me get you let me get you two two things. Number one, the the site where you can get hospital key metrics and you can look statewide or by any one of the eight regions in Ohio. Start there. So that's coronavirus.ohio.gov and when you go there, um, you'll go to the COVID-19 uh, dashboard and across the top it has overview current trends you want to click down on key metrics and go straight to hospitalizations, and there you are. Now I need to get you. There is a special URL because they're only on week two. Um, give me just give me thirty seconds here. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, I asked you this on uh, uh, project So, yeah, give me just a second, Bob. I'm going to pull it up right now.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the page now, too. You go ahead and look that up, Jack. A COVID-19 dashboard. I'm looking at it right now, uh, coronavirus.ohio.gov. COVID-19 dashboard, key metrics, and then there's cases, mortality, hospitalization. So there's that that click on the drop-down menu. I want everybody to do this. Uh, In fact, if you are uh, on Facebook... Uh, I'm sure you can probably get this stuff on Jack's Facebook page. I'm going to put it on my Parler account. If you follow me on Parler, uh, you'll be able to see this. If you don't, you should. Uh, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio is my uh, parlor handle. It's where conservatives have moved from the far-left uh, toxic censorship domains of Facebook and Twitter. But I'll put this on parlor so you can see exactly what Jack is talking about. State of Ohio COVID-19 hospitalization metrics. I do have them in front of me, and uh, obviously the breakdowns by county. It shows inpatient beds, ICU bed capacity, and so on and so forth. All of these things that Jack just detailed are available. So when you tell your friends that, hey, I heard on the radio today on the France show, or I heard that I heard uh, Jack Windsor today say that they're lying to us about the actual capacity of COVID patients in ICUs, you can tell them there is evidence of it, and it's right there and available at the Ohio .ohio coronavirus.ohio.gov website. Uh, Jack, did you find it?
0: You know, I'm still trying to pull we're it up. Out. If you don't mind, but I'll do oh, is I'll share it that's on okay. my page um, once we are finished here, and then I'll share it with you um, because I think that's important, right? You know, they're, they're <laughs> I'll give you an example um, in in Richland County. One of the newspapers here, the same day that this story published in the Ohio Star, the headline on that newspaper right. said that one of the, or excuse me, uh, hospitals in the local county um, were actually at their highest level. And so I got pushback and folks said, Well wait a minute, how can hospitals be at their I said, Look, we're looking at region. Regions can be down and one hospital may be up, but actually when you dig into the story, which is often the case, you you, you get beyond the headline, you go, Well, wait a minute. Okay, the hospital's not overrun. They they gave you a headline there that was that was designed as clickbait, essentially. Um but you know, this stuff is real and it's unfortunate because again, that. the hard part with data is that you can dress it up to look scary. Or you can dress it up or, you know, undress it and make it look, you know, bare and, and what it is, which is, you know, this is a virus and people need to be careful. Um, but it's certainly we're not getting the full story. And we haven't, by the way, Bob, in, in all of 2020.
1: Have you forwarded this article that you guys did to, you know, Dan Tierney or to anybody else in the governor's team?
0: Yes. And have not heard back yet. Okay.
1: I just want to make sure that they see it um, and respond to it, because like you said, you know, if you ask the question about all of this information, and I know a lot of people don't like your questions because they're longer in nature than some of the other ones that the governor takes at these press conferences. Uh, and even even if you ask it all very well, and even if you somehow simplify it or shorten it, he's still going to give you the same you know pat answer that he always gives you, which is essentially a non-answer. I want them to respond to the article. And so what I really want is for people to find this article at Ohio Star, the Ohio Star website, <clears throat> excuse me. Find this article uh on the Ohio Star website and send it to Governor DeWine's office uh and, and bombard his people until they respond to it and say, Why are you up there every day telling us hospitals are at capacity, ICUs are being overrun, when it shows here your own statistics from the Ohio dashboard that the Ohio Star compiled. Double-digit drops in seven of the eight regions. Double-digit drops. Um, I I want an answer from them because they're standing up there every time they have one of these addresses, like yesterday, and continuing to fear-monger with false data, Jack.
0: Yes, and, you know, it it has maybe, I'll call them unintended consequences. So, you know, there, there are some folks that are afraid to go get an elective surgery or are afraid to go get care because they're thinking, well, wait a minute, that hospital is full of COVID patients, am I going to expose myself? Um, and, you know, that's one of the tactics that we hear or one of the ways of managing an overcrowded hospital that we hear is, well, you know what, we're going to have to crowd out non-COVID patients. Um, and my understanding is there are a couple of hospitals throughout the state who are temporarily pausing um, other other types of care in order to keep beds open for, for COVID patients. Um, and you know what, cortisol is a really bad thing, Stress. Stress causes cortisol, and cortisol is one of the, I mean, it's the devil inside your body. It's what causes inflammation, causes a ton of illness. And, um, you know, people, after being 10, what are we, 10 months into this, really deserve to have the the full story. Um, And it's really discouraging when you bring questions to the governor or you uncover something um, that's not conspiratory, that, that is not designed to, um, you know, completely lock the boat, but it's designed so that people can say, well, wait a minute, this is what's really going on and make adult decisions. But the problem is this administration doesn't want you to make decisions. They want to make decisions for you. I mean that's the bottom line. That's what we've seen in all of That's why I call it, them
1: the, the the little Napoleonic tyrant, because it is. It is tyrannical. They want to make the decisions for you. Jack, I wanna you mentioned just a second ago you think it's been about ten months now, and you're right. <clears throat> I was going to ask you, looking back at the year that's coming to a close now, can you even imagine... Back in February and March, and especially in March when Governor DeWine took to the podium and said, look, people, we just need you to stay home and we need to close certain businesses just for two weeks. Give us 15 days just so that we can flatten the curve and make sure that we don't overrun the hospitals and then all of this will be over and we'll be fine. Could you even imagine, Jack Windsor, that 10 months later we'd be where we're sitting right now?
0: I think most of us couldn't have imagined that in February and March. Something happened to me in March. I think I I may have shared this with you before. Something in my gut didn't fit right. And uh, so I started digging. And I'm going to go back. You know, we've got a couple days here um, where we can reflect on the year. I'm going to go back and see if I can find the post. I'm pretty sure that at some point in April I said something along the lines of, um, we're going to really be in, in some sort of lockdown or something until there's a vaccine um, and if you don't get the vaccine, then you may not be able to work or travel. Uh, and, of course, everybody laughed at that and, and called me a tin hat. But here we are. Um, now, that fortunately doesn't seem to be the case yet in Ohio. The governor has said that the vaccine is is, is everyone's choice. But as is often the case, uh, I think there's a, a legal uh, memo that's been circulating indicating that if businesses want to require their workers to vaccinate or else they're technically entitled to do that. Um, you know, I, I think, Bob, this, this year has been 2020, I, I will say this, uh, an optometrist will tell you 2020 vision is perfect. Uh, 2020 has really uncovered uh, what goes on in our federal government, what goes on in our state government, um, what the medical industrial complex looks like and uh, how indoctrinated we are by social media platforms that absolutely um, have a desire to influence people in one direction. Uh, That's what 2020 has taught me. And uh, I think more and more people have opened their eyes to that as we've gone deeper into this. Um, And I think a few people saw it in April, May, you know, in June. Uh, But right now, um, there are a lot of people who are frustrated who are going, wait a minute, how did we get here?
1: Well, Jack, here's what I want people to do. Um, Go to theohiostar.com, and I'll put this on my parlor account as well, but go to theohiostar.com, find the headline that says Fewer COVID patients in hospitals, ICUs, and on vents in almost every region in Ohio. Take that article, email it to the governor's office, email it to the governor's staff, email it to the Ohio Department of Health, email it to all of them. And let's spread the word that the governor and the government has been lying to us about all of this for the purposes of keeping us afraid, and keeping us under control. Uh, Jack Windsor was spot on back in February, March, even when people may have laughed at him, uh, and we need to expose this now. So demand an answer. Email this link to them and say, I want an answer. Why are you telling us that the hospitals hospitals are being overrun when they are actually being decreased in double-digit percentages in virtually every part of the state of Ohio? Jack, you uh, have done incredible work throughout the entire year on this subject. I know you're going to maintain your diligence and, in fact, perhaps expand it in 2021, and I'm very much looking forward to talking to you then. Happy New Year to you, Jack Windsor, and thank you so much.
0: Happy New Year, Bob. God bless you. Thank you. Thank
1: you, sir. Uh, 954, we'll be right back. The answer is 1420 AM, 102.5 FM, and on Radio.com. So I mentioned something really positive that I wanted to do today, and we're going to do this in the next hour. First of all, we have uh, uh, Dr. Aubrey Piper, who's always positive, and I always enjoy the conversations with him. So that's coming up here after the top of the hour news. But the other thing we're going to do is focus on uh, five positive stories, or positive developments, or positive accomplishments in what has been an impossible year to accomplish anything positive. By President Trump, President Trump is potentially and probably likely, because of the nefarious misdoings of and the misdeeds of the uh, the far left, he's he's on his way out of the White House, unless, like I said, lightning strikes. Um, in honor of his legacy and the legacy he'll leave behind, I'm just going to focus on 2020 because the year is coming to an end now. This is this is New Year's Eve. Uh, I'm going to share with you the top five accomplishments of Donald Trump in 2020. Five victories, if you will, in the year of impossible... Um, obstacles and problems with pandemics and racial strife and violence in the streets and so forth. Five things the president was able to accomplish. Now, probably I won't be able to give you the top five things he's done in four years because the list would be so expansive. It would take hours to come up with the top five things in his four years in office. But just for the past calendar year that comes to an end today, we're going to share that with you in the next hour. And I would like to hear your thoughts about that as well. This is just... Again, not suggesting that we want it to end, but if indeed the president's term in office comes to a close uh, on January 20th with the inauguration of Joe Biden, I want to be able to say we commemorated the phenomenal work he did in this final year in office. So that'll be coming up in hour number two, along with Dr. Everett Piper. Stay here.